You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Alrighty, well good. How are you? Take a moment to look around. Sorry I rushed in, didn't I? He um, had a good morning this morning in Narendra. We had a, uh, a lunch with uh, some new, new families. So it was like an introduction to Narendra CRC. So we fitted that in in between. And then... Um, and then uh, took off out here, so it's really good to be here. I've, um, what I've really enjoyed is um, Annette invited me to, uh, to, to be here for the first Sunday for, for a few, few months, and I think that will continue on to next month as well. So it's just for the first half of the year, it's been just a real joy to have some continuity and just to come and be with you and to share with you. So I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, but it really is nice to just be here and be, be part of what's happening um, in Coolerman, so um, so thanks for letting me be part of that and just come and share share my heart with you. I last time I was here the, a month ago, I shared a little bit about um, faithfulness. It's something that's been brewing just with me. I haven't shared exactly the same messages as I've shared in Narendra. Last time I may have had a fair overlap from the morning to the afternoon because I, I preached in both places. I didn't preach in Narendra this morning, but. Um, so it's been a little bit different in each place, but it's been what's just going through my mind is just faithfulness. Last time I talked about uh, from uh, the first chapter of Timothy, where Paul was writing to Timothy and he said to him, um, you know, that uh, God has enabled me, counting me faithful. And so probably today I want to talk a little bit differently, but still picking up on that a little bit. And I've called the message today the order of things. So it's quite different to uh, last time, but uh, it does sort of connect a little bit as well, the order of things. Um, I, I think it's something I like to think about. Like often in passages of the Bible, when I'm looking at them, I'm looking and seeing what leads to what leads to what. What's the order of things? And last time with Timothy, it was, it was a little bit like that, although it wasn't in my mind when I preached. But I just talked about how God counted Timothy, or Paul was saying to, to Timothy, God counted him faithful and then when he was faithful he then enabled him and then or you know you could say he called him and then enabled him for what he called him to so I think of the order of things faithful called enabled and I shared with you I think a little bit I took a little bit of time last time to just share a little bit of my story and say how early in in my journey um, and I wasn't exaggerating, I don't know whether you thought I might have been, but I wasn't exaggerating about just how, perhaps how timid I was in those days, you know, when I first came to the Lord uh, off a farm, not all my life, but from six years old, and then, um, you know, going to a boys' boarding school, it was kind of a nice, nice safe place, being amongst guys that were quite similar, you know, off a farm, played footy, you know, whatever, and so I found myself... I think I was a social person. I don't think that's kind of changed. It's probably personality. But I feel like I was a little timid, you know, in wanting to get up in front of people or do anything. And it seems a bit unusual now when you think about that, um, although I still don't always find it easy. But um, but because you know what you're called to, you know that God will enable you for it. And we talked about that. And I just encouraged you, I think, last time, just to say, hey, sometimes we can feel inadequate, but we disqualify ourselves. But we, we must... 
learn to trust what he says about us above what we feel ourselves, you know? So again, it's not, this is what we always say, it's not about trying harder or pushing yourself or whatever. It's actually about coming to a realisation of that he's called you and what he's done in you and what he's done for you and that kind of gives you the confidence to step into it. Is that all right? So then I'm just kind of, today I just want to read a passage to you and, um, and, uh, and then just um, sort of unpack it a little bit with just uh, the order of things, as I've called it. So as we read it through, have a bit of a think if you can, if you can pick up, uh, as I read it through, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. As I read it through, I want you to just see whether you can pick up a particular order, all right? And I'm not going to ask you to, to feed back to me particularly, but just see if you pick it up that as I talk it through, whether you saw some of the same things there. Is that all right? Because that'll be encouraging to all of us. But um, so, all right, so this is Colossians chapter 1. I probably should tell you where it is, eh? Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Colossians 1, 1 to 14. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I just think it, um, it's help, it puts things in a helpful way. But, um, all right, are you ready? This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Interestingly, last time we talked about, well, we, we drew from a letter from Paul to Timothy encouraging Timothy. Now what do we see? Who's this letter from? Paul and Timothy, really, isn't it? That's what it says there. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. It's sort of like they're saying, this is coming from us. Um, I probably won't have time to look at it uh, today, but when I was sort of uh, looking through this, at the end of Colossians, what you find is there's a passage at the end of Colossians in chapter 4, and Paul's talking about all the different people who've been faithful in supporting and helping the ministry. And it's almost like they send their greetings and say hello to this person. And I don't know, when I read that, I just feel like this beautiful sense of working together and relating together and encouraging each other, a little like we did with the Leeton School. Like, hey, we're not necessarily directly involved in that, but, but, but we're in that together. And when something happens at Coolerman, Jeff and the team, you know, they're pretty uh, interested and excited about what might be happening. I know you've had Jeff over a, a little bit from time to time and the team comes over. And so there's this sense of, well, we're not on our own, but we're working together. And if, you, if we don't get to it, which I don't think we will, um, just have a look. I mean, maybe just read the whole book of Colossians as a bit of an exercise this week, although I'm sure most of you are reading something so you know you might not want to add that to the pile, but if you um, uh, if you have a moment, you know you could just read through uh, Colossians, and particularly at the end of chapter four, you just pick up this this heart of you know Jan says hi to Robin because you know she's been a great encouragement to us, and then Robin you know pass on to this person, and you know there's this real sense of we're in this together, and some of them are in a difficult place right now, but they're still thinking of you, and they send their greetings to you, and pass this. In fact, one place it says pass this letter on, you know, pass this letter on. And so, uh, you know, there's this beautiful sense of, anyway, that that's sort of really gets to me where we think we're in this together, we're all in this together, say hello to them and they say hello to you. But anyway, so I'll keep reading. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossa who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's probably what got my attention to start with with this passage. I was talking about being faithful thinking about what does faithful mean, 
Then I must have come across this where I could see Paul's writing to them and he says, you know, you are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then I thought, okay, well, does he help us understand? Why is he calling them faithful? What is it about them that, help, uh, that, that requires him or enables him or prompts him to describe them as faithful brothers and sisters? Does that make sense? How are you going? You with me? Who wants to be a faithful brother and sister? Do you want to be a faithful brother and sister? I often say to you, you know, one of the most inspiring verses to me is when Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? And I say, well, that's what I want to be. So show me, what is it? Because that's what I want to be. Who wants to be a faithful brother and sister? Answer me, Sabi. Let me ask it. Who wants to be a faithful brother and sister? Do you want to be faithful? Yeah, I want to be found faithful. I don't have to be better than you or you don't have to be better than me and I don't have to be good at everything. It's what we talked about a bit last time, doesn't it? Don't have to be well-rounded and perfect at everything, but I want to be faithful. I just want to be found where I'm meant to be, doing what I'm meant to be doing. And so here he says, you are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, what is it about them? May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. And so if you were to look at my Bible here, you'll see a fair bit of pink. I'll hold it up. You might be able to see it. I'm not sure. Who's got good eyes? Can you see a bit of pink in there? It's pretty colourful, hey? So I bought me a big Bible today. Sometimes I have my phone, but my phone hasn't got enough pink on it. So I got this particular uh, one here because I wanted to read from this passage and, and highlight the pink bits. But, you know, here it talks about being faithful brothers and sisters. And this is something about having faith in Christ and a love for all God's people. Well, that's got to be a bit of a clue, hasn't it, about what, what makes up faithful people. Which come from your confident hope. So faith and love comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. A bit more pink there. Going out all over the world. Must have got excited when I was reading that bit. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. And on that bit, you may not want to know all this, but I, I sat the pink down, I picked up my black pen, and I put some big black lines underneath that because bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just stirred something in me. Ah, that's what it's about. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. And he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, pink, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding, pink, then, pink circle, then the way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. Somehow that relates to faithfulness, doesn't it? May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance 
that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And so this might be just my mind, but as I read that through and I got the pen out and I just put some numbers in there because what I thought was there's an order taking place here and the order is important because I could read at the beginning where I want to be a faithful brother and sister and as I've been doing this bit of a series, you might call it loosely, just talking a bit about and thinking a lot about being faithful, the thing that I really wanted to get away from is giving the idea that, come on, Jan, you've got to be faithful. So now you've got to, and you've got to, and you've got to, you know, because that's what it can sound like. But I thought, you know, there's got to be a different way for me to express it. I, I want to stir us up to love and uh, and aspire towards being a faithful and wise steward, but particularly faithful. But I don't want it to sound like, come on, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to try harder and you've got to work harder because, come on, you've got to endure because you've got to be faithful. And this passage just kind of gave me some freedom in my thought on this because what I think it does, which is helpful and hopefully I can convey it this afternoon, is it gives us the right order of things. Let me just pause for a moment from the passage and share a bit of a story. I think last time I was here, I, I said to you, I started talking a little bit about my early days of uh, you know, faith and just things that were helpful to me. And so let me go there again this afternoon just for a moment. When I was, I remember, and maybe I, I've shared this with some of you over the time. I don't think I talk about this a lot, but occasionally I've mentioned this. Is that, you know, when, when, I, um, when I was... Uh, sort of got saved in those years and there was a group of us at boarding school and some of the pastors from Naranda Church used to come out and just teach us like an SRE class, extended SRE class and they'd just get the Bible out and we'd just look through a bunch of verses and a lot of it I remember is just about our identity in Christ and about the authority that he's given to us because of our relationship with him and you know, and our identity in him and so uh, we, we just began to, to look into the mirror of the word and see ourselves and things that the word of God said about us and I remember trying to take them on and saying, you know what, that's what God said about me I don't always feel it but that's what he said about me and you know what I think? I think it, it stirred within me just a real desire to want to, to lay down my life and just want to serve God fully. Later on, when I got involved in, uh, in leading youth uh, at one point, and I remember thinking how I just wanted to challenge the youth to be faithful and be committed and to be sold out, to be full on. And, and my first instinct in that in that. Uh, context was to to want to really say come on come on come on you know and I found myself thinking I've got to challenge these young people I've got to really take it up to them you know I've got to take it up to them and tell them they've got to do better they've got to try harder come on you've got to give your life come on you've got to lay down your life and I just remember at one point through that whole process stopping and saying I don't know this is not really working what is it that made me as a young guy what is it that helped me as a 15-year-old to just want to follow God, just want to go all out for God? What was it? What was it that helped me? And I think it was people that were willing to invest in me. I think it was people that, you know, encouraged me. That, that, that's all part of it. I think it was because I was able to. I was blessed enough to run with a few other guys, which is always helpful, isn't it? Not everybody has the opportunity to do that. When I think about my four children, three girls and one boy, as they went through high school, 
particularly the three girls, all had a bit of a group of people that were part of our church at the same age. And so they had the advantage probably, I think, of running through school with others that were a similar mind. So they felt stronger at school. But I really felt for my son who, who had good friends, but there were very few his age that were in the church, you know, that were at school and in the church. And so we were particularly just watching out for him and just wanting him to stay strong in faith, but realising that he would have pressures that maybe the girls didn't have. Not because he's a boy, but because he didn't seem to in the same way. Somehow it was just the way it worked out. You know, when you look at all the youth that were in the church, each of the girls seemed to have, and Hillary would have been one of those at some stage with, with the girls. But there were, there were girls that seemed to just have a group of them that were strong and, you know, and encouraged. And, and, and sometimes when they, the teacher was talking about things that were very anti-God, the, the group would stand up in the school, in the class, I mean, and um, I think with respect, hopefully, but they would actually challenge the teachers. And, you know, they stood strong in the school and they had influence in their school a little bit. But, I mean, they were just blessed to have a group around them. But my son didn't have that so much. So I realised it's not always easy to do that. And I had that. So when I look back, I think I'm thankful for the people that invested in me to travel and to take time to teach me the foundations of the Scriptures. I'm thankful for other guys that ran with me and had courage, maybe a lot more than me, to, to stand in an environment where you were, it was impossible to be invisible. And so I'm thankful for people that ran with me. But one of the things... On top of that, or in that list of things, one of the things was that I remember that as I was taught about who I was and how God saw me, and we, we, we called it the new creation message, but when we saw what the Bible said about who we were and who he made us to be by his grace, not by who we were or what we did and how we tried harder, but, but really just by beginning to take a hold of and trust and believe what he said about who we were, how he saw us, what his plan was for our life, even though we couldn't see it for ourselves, you know. And so when that happened, what happened was out of that, I felt like then the message of discipleship. We had a pastor called Len Burrell, who I really loved and admired, and he was one of our older guys. He's passed on to be with the Lord now, but his son is uh, in Naranda and he's been helping us drive the bus and connecting with us. And I'm saying, Lord, is this, uh, you know, are you um, honouring the legacy of the father and giving us some connection, you know, with his son, adult son? But um, and we'll see what God does with that. But the thing is this, that... Um, he used to talk about discipleship and, you know, if you do not forsake all you have, you cannot be my disciple. And I used to love hearing him put that challenge out there. But you know what I think I loved about it? I loved that it was in the context of who God has made me to be. It's not like, come on, you've got to lay down your life. But it was like, you know, with, with, when you think about what he's done for you, when you think about who he's made you to be, when you think about how he sees you, you know, a child of God is an obvious one. But when you see that he's forgiven you and he's cleansed you and he's removed every wall of petition and that you can actually live your life and walk with him. I remember learning about how... Uh, the Bible says that we are righteous and a guy called E.W. Kenyon in a book called Two Kinds of Righteousness used to describe righteousness as the ability to live in the presence of the Father God without a sense of guilt or inferiority. And I remember that just hitting home to me, thinking, I get that. I get that. That actually, you know what? 
I can, I can abide in the presence of my Father God in his perfection and in his beauty and all that without feeling inferior, without feeling like he's trying to find fault in me. But actually what he's doing is he's loving me and he's lifting me and he's seeing in me what I don't see in myself. And it's not that God is blind. It's not that he is just saying, oh, she'll be right and sweeping everything under the mat. He paid a great price through the sacrifice of his son so that he could look at you and I and say, you know what? They're forgiven. They can come into my presence and abide in my presence because my son has paid the penalty and made it possible for us to live and abide with him. There was a cost in that. It wasn't just ignoring sin. He's a just and upright God. But what happened was because of Jesus, we could live with him. And I, I took a while to get that into my thinking. You know what? Because of what Jesus has done, I can abide with him and I can live with him and I can be in his presence and not feel ashamed and not feel guilty. What I do feel, though, is then the challenge. In that context, I feel the challenge then to lay down my life and to say, Lord, here I am. And, to, to, and that's why it says here, it's talking about with joy, like being strengthened and enduring and having patience, but to know to do that with joy, filled with joy. How does that happen? Well, you know, if it's just like a religious obligation, if it's just like what you've got to do to try and find favour with God, if it's what you have to do to try and get closer to God, or if it's what you have to do, you know, the rituals so that you can get the miracles that you're looking for, you've got to do the right things to deserve them. We're all disqualified, aren't we? But when we look and see what Jesus has done for us and we say, yeah, because of what he did, this is how God now sees me. And this is what God's plan is for me. And this is what he's done inside of me. And this is what he's made me to be. And that this is how I can be in his presence. I don't need to feel ashamed or full of guilt or feel like I've failed. I don't need to feel like I've got to accomplish certain things or do certain things, you know, to, to try to uh, attain or appease or whatever the word might be that you want to use. That actually I can just rest in his presence and I can just rest in how he sees me. You know, rest is not inactivity, is it? But rest is just knowing who we are and being able to be comfortable in that place where we, where we find ourselves in his presence. I hope that all makes sense. And so here, again, I can, I can do this fairly quickly, but I just want to guide you through, and you may not have it in front of you and you may not have all the pink pen that I've got, you know, in your Bible. But really, I want to just move past the start faithful brother you know one who has faith in christ and love for the brothers but then it says well that came from this and then it says that came from that and so let's go to the end of the story and work our way backwards and so i've got a little number one in verse five i've got a little number one next to you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news since you first heard where does it start it starts by Hearing the truth of the good news. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just go down to verse 7. You learn about the good news from Epaphras. No, sorry, I'll go back. Verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You see, that's the same thing. You heard the truth of the good news or you heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. 
I'm probably making it more complicated than it needs to be. But number one, really, you, when you look through this, you're working our way backwards and we're seeing that it all started when he heard, and later on it clarifies, that he heard and he understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. That was the good news. God's wonderful grace was the good news. Because what is contained in that idea of God's wonderful grace is the things that I've been talking about the last few minutes. What I think I finished saying, but I'm not sure if I did, I was just talking about when I was that youth person, I felt challenged then to turn things around the other way and to begin to encourage the young people by sharing with them the truth about what God has said and about God's grace. Instead of, come on, you've got to give your life, it was, this is the grace that God has shown you. This is what God has done in you, whether you feel it or not. This is how God has dealt in your life. This is what God has done with your sin. This is how you are a new person on the inside, cleansed and washed on the inside. And you know, it's funny because it doesn't seem to be like, that's not like the direct route to where you want to get. Come on, Ed, you've got to try harder. Come on, Ed, let's be more faithful. Come on, Ed, you've got to improve. But if I start to say, well, this is what God says about you. You know, this is what God's grace has done for you. Well, maybe it takes a little longer. But isn't that a better way? Isn't that a better, uh, a better order of things? that we get to discover his grace and because we understand what he's done for us and we encounter his love, what happens is then we can joyfully lay down our life for what he wants us to do. It's not a calling up to, to, to a certain standard or a way of living, but what it is, it's a, a realisation, a revelation of what God has done in us and flowing out of that, the order of things, flowing out of that is the willingness to gladly lay down our life for him because what he loved us first. We love him. In 1 John it says we love him because he first loved us. Such a short verse. But I can't tell you how profound that's been to my life. That we love him because he first loved us. In fact, some, some translations say we love because he first loved us. We love him and we love others because we've had a revelation of his love for us. Even the challenge to be more loving, the challenge to, uh, to reflect the fruit of the Holy Spirit more in our life, really, fruit is what? Fruit is what flows out naturally when the right environment is there. Is that right? You don't shape the apple on the apple tree. I'm not aware of anywhere. They try lots and lots of things and they make artificial all sorts of things, but I've not yet eaten an artificial apple. I don't know, maybe there is one out there, is there? I mean, they've got the genetics and things that are almost artificial, but you know what I mean. Like, there's no, no one's really just got a, a, a bit of clay or the materials or whatever. Steve, am I wrong? Are you, you, you got some science to profound us with there or what? Is it? Hey? McDonald's use chocos? Oh, is that, is that what do they just make it to make apple? Oh, right, eh? okay. So they're not real apple? Okay, good. Well, there you go. So there you go. But they, have they succeeded? Do you think they've succeeded? Okay, all right. So there you go. So there's, there's, there's one thing, all right? But anyway, the apple tree outside, you can form some apples on it with your bare hands if you want to, but you're not going to really, no one's really perfected the apple on the apple tree except for the tree itself. Is that right? And so they can make all sorts of genetics and do all sorts of things to make all sorts of mixtures of 
apples. I know they grow rice so that it doesn't get too tall and can get thicker and can do all these things. But anyway, so they use genetics. But in the end, it's basically the fruit of what's, uh, what's in it. And so the fruit of the Spirit is what comes when the Spirit is alive and active within us. And so the first thing was that they heard and um, understood and responded to the truth about God's wonderful grace. And then as you work backwards, it says, you've had this expectation ever since you first heard. What expectation? Well, a confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. That would be number two for me. You know what flows out of the truth of the good news? God's wonderful grace and understanding God's wonderful grace is an understanding of the eternity, the understanding of eternity. Because who knows that eternity doesn't just... A, a picture of your eternal life this is a whole bunch of sermons in itself, isn't it? But I'll just make the comment and then I'll keep moving on. Is that when you get a grasp of eternity and eternal life that is a gift that you have been given by God, that actually it changes the way you live your life. It changes how you live. It changes what you value. It changes what you invest your life into. And so really the whole course of your life or your whole perspective on life is very much affected is very much affected by how you see or how you have a confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You know, when you look into um, uh, many of the heroes of the faith in the Bible, one of the things that you'll see, and Hebrews 11 brings this out, I don't want to get too sidetracked on it, but Hebrews 11, you know, where it's got all the, the heroes of faith, it talks about how they did what they did because they had a glimpse of eternity. They had a glimpse of eternity. And you know, when we get a glimpse of our life being eternal and not temporal, it shifts everything. It shifts the value that, that we put in certain things. It shifts the value that we put in um, material things. It shifts the value of what we put in the things that we accomplish in our life. Because what happens is we begin to see things from a whole different perspective. And so it's saying here that, that because of their hearing the good news, they had this confident hope of what God had reserved for them in heaven. And so then as a result of that, Paul heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all God's people. You know, faith in Christ Jesus, that's really talking about a lifestyle. We can say, well, you have faith in Jesus because you received him and you got saved. No, faith in Christ flows into every aspect of our life. If you live a life of faith, I was looking up a few verses about this and I got to 2 Corinthians 5, early in the chapter of 2 Corinthians 5, and it was really talking about, Paul was talking there about how you know he's got his eye on eternity and he's got total confidence in eternity. And he talks about how if I was given the choice, I always love this passage, and this is just in my words, but I love this passage. He says, you know, if I was given a choice, well, I'd go and I'd be, you know, with him right now. But whatever he wants me to be here, he says, well, I'll be faithful and I'll be here. So to win is to, uh, what is it? To live is Christ and to die is gain, is what he says. So when it says to live is Christ, it's just a few words, but really to live is Christ. He's talking about the life of faith. It's not just about a life that started by faith, but it's about a life of faith, that everything we do, we live by faith. 
In, in that same passage, it talks about we live by faith and not by sight. So we're not worried about this temporal life and we've got a grasp of eternity because we live by faith and not by sight. It changes the way we live our life. It changes every dimension to our life. You keeping up with me this afternoon? You see, it all starts. It's not like, well, we've got to do this and got to do that. It all starts when we, when we hear and respond to and understand the message of the good news of God's grace. When we do that, we get a grasp of what it's like to live with a, a concept of the kingdom and a concept of an eternal kingdom. And we live in a, with, a, with, a, with a perspective on life that, that sees everything for its eternal value. We start to invest our life for what has eternal value, not what is temporal. You know, I love that parable where the, it talks about the guy who he had pretty good harvests and so after he had some good harvests he just tore down the barns and he built bigger barns because he was just going to store more and store more. And it's such a, I know, for me it's such a graphic, when I think about it, it's such a graphic picture of what our life can be like if we're thinking temporarily, we're thinking about just building bigger barns and then building more barns and then building more barns and never being satisfied because we always have to have more. And that's living with a, a temporal perspective on life or with, you know, without an understanding of things of eternity. Because what does he say? He says, after you've pulled all them barns down and you've built more barns and you've filled them up and you stand there and you feel satisfied because your barns are all full, it says tonight your soul is required of you. And you suddenly go, ah, well, that, that was all worth nothing. That was all of no benefit. So we can accumulate and we can build. And again, I'm not talking against what God blesses us with or having a great home or doing whatever you do. But it's all about the kingdom, isn't it? It's all about what God wants to do with it. And none of it belongs to us. We're stewards, faithful stewards of everything that is ours. Our time, our possessions, everything is, is His. But He's given it to us and He wants us to be blessed by it and He wants us to enjoy it. But He doesn't want us to own it. The greatest fulfillment comes out of not letting those things own you, but knowing they're just being trusted to us and, uh, and that's the blessing of God for us. And so they know the truth of, the God, of God's grace. They then have this confident hope of what's reserved in heaven. And so therefore, motivated by that, coming from that, it says in this passage, faith in Christ and love for all God's people is a fruit of that. And what flows out of that is that we are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Epaphras, you know, he was a key player. Because of his faithfulness, it multiplied into the lives of those who were being spoken of here. And I'll just read verse 9 down because when you've come to that place, when you've come to that place, it says now we can pray that you will just continue to grow in these areas, that God will give you complete knowledge of his will, that he'll give you spiritual wisdom and understanding, then what will flow out of that is the way you live will always honour and please the Lord. Come on, Ed, you've got to please God more. Come on, Ed. I'm just waking him up. You've got to honour him more. Come on. Ed's my friend. I can get away with that. You know, Ed, come on, you've got to do more. Ed, come on. Um, you know, you've got to honour and please the Lord more. No, I'm praying that you'll just, the way that you live, that you'll have complete knowledge of his will and that you'll have spiritual wisdom and understanding because then what will happen is the way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. 
And all the while, you'll just be growing and learning, knowing God better and better, not trying hard, it'll just come. We pray you'll be strengthened with all His glorious power. You'll have endurance and patience and filled with joy, always thanking the Father, having this inheritance that belongs to His people. Father, help us to see the right order of things. Help us to see the right order of things. As we discover and reflect upon your word, as we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, may our hearts always be motivated by an awareness of what you've done for us. May it flow out of your grace. May our faithfulness, may our patience and endurance with joy, may our always living in a way that pleases and honours you, may it flow out of not human effort, Lord, may it flow out of knowing the hope that we have in you, knowing your grace, knowing what you say about us, knowing how you see us, knowing the perfect work of the cross. Lord, we bring everything to the foot of the cross because everything flows out of, Lord, the cross. Jesus, you're the centre. Jesus, you're the centre of it all. It's our relationship with you that bears this kind of fruit. It's the presence of your spirit in our life every day that bears this kind of fruit. Lord, encourage us. Strengthen us. Speak to us. Give us revelation today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just very quickly, you know, when we were singing that wind and fire, uh, and Ed also just stood up and made reference to wind and fire, but when we were just singing that, appreciated the singing today. I know I come a little bit late, but just really appreciated... Um, just the worship in those songs. Funny, I was um, in Naranda this morning. We were singing that one. Um, uh, what was the one that you were singing when I came in? Uh, Father, good, good Father, it was, I think. Was that good, good Father? Father? Oh, goodness of God. That's it, goodness of God. Yeah, and I just thought, oh, that's just, just speaking to me. And then when I walked in, you were singing it. And again, that's, maybe it's incidental, but I was just kind of thinking, thank you, Lord. Like, that's just a blessing. Because I was just enjoying the good, good Father, the you know, the, the way that he just deals in our life. And I was just thinking about that. And then when we sang, sang about wind and fire, and as I was just thinking about that, I thought, you know, um, funny, I, I wrote on my hand, look, this is just my weird, I think I can be a bit transparent, this is my weird thinking. I was thinking about, from the movie, um, uh, the, um, oh, what is it, the Man from Snowy River movie. And there's one line there. I, I, can, I can remember sort of roughly what it says, or pretty accurately what it says. It says, um, they were asking the man from Snow River, I said, can you tame the, the mountains? And he said, you'll no sooner contain the oceans as tame the mountains, he says. And I know this is just my connection and you can take it or leave it, but when I was thinking about the Holy Spirit, wind and fire, bring your wind and fire. I thought, you know, you can't tame the Holy Spirit, can you? You can't tame wind and fire. I mean, in some ways you can. You can steer it and use it and whatever. But in many ways, in its rawest form, wind and fire, it's just beyond us, isn't it? It's greater than us. 
And I just thought, the Holy Spirit, we, we can't, in one way we can contain him, but in many ways, he's just bigger than we are. And he was complimenting the, the mountains. He was saying, you know, you can't tame the mountains. These were the cattlemen, you know, they were going to turn the mountains into good paddocks and, you know, do whatever. He says, no, you'll never tame the mountains. The mountains can't be tamed, no more than containing the oceans. And so I was just thinking, the Holy Spirit, you'll never contain the Holy Spirit in the sense of, you know, he can come in and you can let him blow in the sails of your life in that sense or whatever. You can allow him to flow in your life. Maybe that's a sense of containment, but you can never hold him back. You can never own him. You can never control him. You can never, you know, uh, find the right way to, to, uh, to manage him, if you like. But he just, he'll do what he does. And if we can understand him and just trust him, then uh, the wind and the fire, the possibilities of what he can do in our life is, um, is really unlimited. We don't need to understand it. We don't need to be able to control it. I'm not wording it very well, but I just felt really uplifted as I, I was there and I thought, i just got to share that with you. You know, when the Holy Spirit's working, when the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit is working, then nothing is impossible. Anything can happen. Things beyond our measure, things beyond our ability to... Um, I love that it says we can ask... Um, Jesus is able to do or God is able to do far above, abundantly above or exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. And I thought, we can't contain him, can we? We can't contain him. We can't uh, fully understand and control him. He's so much greater than us. Anyway, thank you. I'll leave that with you.